Hey, did you get what you wanted out of this episode, Michelle? Um, I thought it was a really good episode, so I got a lot. Change will come to those who have no nature right and I still think there's a lot that needs to be explained but this was rich there was a lot of uh, really deep stuff that came out in this episode a lot of answers yeah some some new answers and some we should have known Michelle first I was a dope because of some of the things I said last time those like those chips in Tom's drawer weren't poker chips they weren't gambling those were his day chip you know his date markers for being right. clean, clean and sober right right that was pretty dumb his 12-step chips yeah. yeah um and then you were kind of shocked about henry and eliza being together but i wasn't but i forgot why but we knew because of those wine glasses together when when um, Wayne came to see her one time and she was like, he's like, are you by yourself? She's like, yeah. And she had two wine glasses. That's So how... you think Henry was there then? He wasn't there I mean, that then. could have been anybody, though. Why would yeah. you even well, suspect cause Henry? Because it's not just anybody. There's a reason for that. But anyway, I forgot about that between episodes or remembered it between episodes. I still think that's weird. I mean, so so they met because I don't see the point of that being thrown in into something already that's so uh, complicated. I don't think I don't... they met and fell in love. I think Eliza moved in on Henry to get the inside track to Wayne. And maybe something was cut early that would have maybe shown us that in a more clear way or something. But But I think the way it's in there just seems... Uh, like static to mm, me. I mean, I don't. I think it shows a little bit of a motive, of a, maybe not a little, but a bit of a motivation on Eliza to do whatever she needs to to get these answers. She, she's clear now. She tried to get to Roland, and he turned her down. Are you calling Eliza a hooker? I'm calling her a slutty little bitch. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm hearing. <laughs> no, she's just so motivated that, and that so that opens the door to what do you think? Who do you think Eliza is? Some are saying maybe Julie's daughter, or at 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 most Julie's daughter. Maybe at the least she's an associate of Julie's. That somehow, although their ages are different. Their ages would have to be different. But maybe Julie's daughter. I mean, she's super motivated to get into this case and solve it. More, she, more. Yeah. She's more motivated. She's, she's weaponized somehow more so than just being a good reporter. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, I'd never even thought about her being connected to Julie in any way. That would uh, definitely kind of wrap up that storyline kind of make it more clean so the other thing we messed up on or i messed up on was that book screenshot was not about amelia and wayne and rebecca it was about the hoyts car crash but i'm well, not going to yeah, take yeah. too much blame for that because you had to actually 
take some trouble to read that screenshot to figure out that there was a car crash. But it's clearly Amelia writing about the Hoyts situation with Isabel. Which daughter. is pretty interesting. Yeah. So, but, you know, we also have some more questions, too, yeah. with this, though. Don't you think? We got a lot more questions. Like, Julie, Julie was in that room a lot before she was taken to that room to be isolated. She came and went from that pink room. Um, Why do you think that? Well, because she had paintings. She had drawings of it in her book at home. Oh, okay. I don't think I remember that. Yeah, they clearly pointed out pink room crayon drawings in her papers. Hmm. Okay. So... So that's one question. What what was the final straw that they said you can't just come and go anymore? Now you have to be here. Was it Isabel getting more insane over the couple of years? Which it appears she was getting more insane. I don't think she was getting more insane. Well, I the think... maid says that literally verbatim. She got yeah, worse. Yeah, no. But I think she was misled. I think they were keeping her away from Isabel because Isabel had uh, Julie there. And it was harder and harder to keep Julie, as she got older, contained in that one room. So they had to contain the staff. And it was easier to make it look like, you know, you just have to stay away from Isabel. Because what else could they say? Well, I'm saying Isabel got more insane. Isabel got more nutty. Well, maybe maybe you're right. Julie just got older and didn't want to hang around in a room when she was... 13 versus when she was 10. Maybe. Yeah, I think that was just a ruse to uh, deflect away from the fact that there was somebody else in the house. So just explain her away as being, um, you know. I mean, who who even knows what she said to make them think she was more and more nutty? They didn't go into that. It could have been anything. She could have been talking about her daughter or anything. Um, or Wait, are you she... saying there's a question about why Isabel got more nutty? She clearly does, I think, because the maid says so. And then she also had another a second car accident where she went out and caused a second car accident. Yeah, but that was between her child dying and getting Julie. That's when that second car accident happened. She didn't have Julie at that point. And we're assuming she had Julie. I mean, of course, Julie was there. So we're going to have to assume that Julie was brought in as like the replacement for her daughter that she lost. That Hoyt did that try to somehow, uh, I don't even know the word, uh, help his daughter and Isabel. But... Yeah, other than that. Do you think I Hoyt you think the old man Hoyt was aware of this? Or do you think he got kind of wrapped up into it by unfortunate circumstances? Like he's away on a trip in Africa, we know that. Which has to take more than a weekend. It's probably a couple few weeks. Mm-hmm. This car accident happens, all the troubles generated from it. He comes and this so they start they start introducing Julie into the mix. He comes home and finds out this all happened. I mean, why was he in Africa hunting? There had to be a reason for that. Yeah, I don't even know if he was. I think that was just his, pl- I mean, maybe, but that was his plausible deniability to be out of 
the country when something like this happened. Um, but I don't know. What about the months? What about the months as names? Mr. June, Julie, July. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I think those are like uh, Tarantino code names for people. Well, Mr. Black, Mr. Pink. It kind of has to be, right? Because we know his name was not June. Well, we know his last name was Watts, but we don't know his first name, do we? No, but I can't imagine it was June. Uh, Coach of the Atlanta Falcons was June Jones, Michelle. Well, I could be wrong then. I'm just not picturing like this, you know. It doesn't seem like a guy's name back in that in the 70s, maybe. I don't know. I could be wrong. We only have one more episode, and we got 10 more months. This could be a conflict. (laughs) No kidding. Okay. A little interesting thing on here that they showed us, though, was uh, Rebecca with her dad and him taking her to college. And... So what happened with them? It did not happen when she was young because they're very affectionate. Well, it's also interesting in that it's a fourth timeline that we've never seen before. Exactly. But we don't know exactly when, do we? Well, I could do a little math. If if she's one was the Walmart 1990, she looked like she was about five or six. She's pretty little. Yeah. She's in college. When you go to college when you're 18, so that's 13 years from 19, 13 years later, 1990 plus 13. So, yeah, 2003. Okay, so like right in the middle almost of where, well, not, not quite, a little past the middle. Yeah, and there's got to be a meaning for it. Yeah, there does. There does have to be something um, about that and about why they're showing that. Because they were healthily happy together. They, she wasn't just tolerating her dad having to drive her, drive her to college. Oh, no. No, no, no. He was dropping her off at college, and she didn't want to leave him. Okay, so now that we're talking about all this, I wish I had written down a timeline, and I didn't. Um, was um, We're going to have to assume Amelia was already gone. Do we know when she died? I don't think so, although I don't think I don't think we know the year, no. Because she would have been there. Well, you mean in the car going to college? Yeah, sure. Well, I don't think so. I think her dad drove her and Amelia wasn't out there. Well, I don't think she was around to be there is kind of my point. And because I think the mom would have went. I've I've known a lot of moms sending a lot of girls to college, and I've not seen one that did not go. I don't think I've seen one that didn't go with their sons. Um, I mean, I know it's possible. Anything could happen, but it just... Yeah, you're right. It's t- it's a typical parental thing to take both parents, take the kid to school. Yeah, to move her in. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. I don't know, you know, Amelia's... Back at home on the case, <laughs> she's so she's so wrapped up in the case. I don't know. That's a good point. She probably is gone by then. And he made some comment, didn't he? About, I guess he didn't about being lonely or something. He didn't say that. That that was probably just what I 
inferred from what he was saying, but um, I don't know. It's your sappiness, Michelle, as a mom. No doubt. No doubt. It was sweet that she didn't want to leave him, too. That was part of my mommy sappiness as well. Well, and she knew some intimate things about him, and she was she was close enough to be able to tease him a little bit, like, you'll be better as soon as you lift something heavy. Right. You know, almost, almost like intimate that, oh, whatever, Dad. She wasn't like that. She was very, very loving to him. I'm Michelle. And so, so something happened in like the next, what, 13 years, 12 years? Yeah. Thereabouts. Something that. Well, a lot's about to happen because, well, if Amelia's yeah. not around anymore to tell Rebecca something, that is a great point. Because you think if Amelia told Rebecca something about Wayne. Well, right. Or or she overheard them talking about something or reliving something or something. Right. But that but couldn't be if Amelia is gone. Right. And she's not she's not there. And, and Rebecca's not there. Rebecca's not there to fight with her dad or or to have any kind of um, nothing happened to damage their relationship while Rebecca was at home. And I don't know. I just know that, you know, in, in my own experience, once uh, a child has moved out, the relationship becomes, it, it changes the relationship and it becomes, um, it becomes not just different, uh, easier, you know, I mean, Particularly with daughters, it's hard to have and 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 wonderful and all the caveats, but but hard to have all these women that were living in the house together. You know, there was four of us here at one point, and of course they weren't all women at the same time. But you know what I mean. And once they move out, it's like you develop this this kind of friendship with them, and it's a really cool, interesting kind of little switch, just a vague little tiny switch to a relationship. Point of telling you all that is when she moved out, her relationship with her dad, there's not as much chance of something had to have happened. It had to have been an event that's caused whatever they haven't told us yet. Something worse than if said happened when she was a kid, you mean? Well, right, because, I mean, it's not like there was, like, this just built-up resentment over the course of time, or he wasn't around, or or he was absentee, and so she um, kind of distanced herself from him, and then it just grew and grew as she went away to college. That's not what we're seeing. They were close, and then they're, I mean, right. she's not even talking That's a to great him. point. That's kind of what I was saying, that she's not just humoring him. Like, whatever, Dad, I'm, I'm glad I can go to the sorority now and get the hell out of here. She's she's sad about their parting. Right. So anyway, I thought that was so, interesting. Michelle, so there's one other thing. Like, if this was just a case, okay, car accident, the mom grieves the missing daughter and wants to have the daughter replaced, finds a poor family with another girl wants to just swap this girl in maybe that's ex- explainable somehow in a weird creepy sort of way but there's like further creepiness of this with the child sex rings and the dolls and the procurement of kids and the spiral that's a whole layer on top of all this stuff that i mean that doesn't isabel going nutty because of a car accident is one thing but isabel 
getting a kid into her fold so this kid can be exploited in a sexual ring of powerful people it's a whole other can of worms yeah yeah i don't know if that's just like a red herring all that other stuff we know these dolls were made by somebody local this was not um some some Unless we're to assume that this lady who made the dolls, this old woman who made the dolls for this fair was somehow tied up in this, then that it just doesn't even make any sense, really. What What's the chance that this pedophile ring is going to happen upon this old woman at a church fair who makes dolls who happen to go along with the dolls that are made. I mean, that's just like kind of insanity. I think that's just something to throw us off Maybe of the trail. I don't think it has anything to do with a pedophile ring or anything like that. And I'm really going to be disappointed if it ends up being that way. Well, I think it, I think it does have a lot to do with a pedophile ring because of season one and because of all the just, we we kind of know that it does. From what I don't think hinting. we know that it does. How? Well, I the, don't think so at all. The reason Eliza brings it up in the interviewing of Wayne, the, yeah, the girl, I, the it, girl at the nunnery, talking about you got a real story. You want to write a real story? Write about what happens to us. Here. That's not about being runaways from society. That's about being abused. It is, of course, it is, but. We Okay, this is my take on the whole thing, is that she was taken to be a replacement for Isabel's daughter, and she got older, and what... I mean, it's hard to keep a 17-year-old daughter in your city, much less... Um, I mean, they they want to explore and stuff, and, and so she wanted to get out of there, presumably, and... So she just left and kind of ran away. And they're the ones looking for her, too. I mean, I assume that's what Dan O'Brien was going to say. And Julie can't be found because if she's found, then, then everything's going to explode on these people. And I think that they're telling us the story about pedophile ring because, I don't know, it somehow kind of kind of throws us off. It's not going to make any sense to me, like I said, about the dolls that the local woman made. Now, if the dolls hadn't come from her, okay, but they did. And it's just too much. It's it's too much to try to weave that in. Also, there was no other missing children that they're talking about. I think in episode one, there was we focused on one, but there was like stories, right? Backstories of all these others that were missing. And we didn't get any of that in this. Yeah, I'm going to disagree. I think if they don't have a missing child pedophile aspect to it, I'm going to be disappointed. Because Julie wasn't living in a sunny second floor room with a sunshine stream. She was in a vault under the ground with a guard yeah, but at How door. could she? I mean, she couldn't. They had kidnapped her. Yeah. Either I way. And I can't imagine that they would let her be abused. I mean, you're going to kidnap this child to bring to your daughter because she lost her daughter. If that's true, then 
we almost have to think that Isabel's daughter was part of this, like being abused, and maybe even Isabel herself. Well, that's was probably being part of it. Okay. Why, yeah, I why don't know. do you? I mean, Hoyt's obviously evil. He's not just like, oh shit, this shit got way spun out of hand. I gotta put, I gotta really put some quality control on this. He's fucking evil, man. He threatens Wayne in front of his family. Like I know their, I know their names, and they're good at art, and the little kids are drawing, and he he int- shows intimate details of what he knows to like, dude, I got you, <laughs> I got you by the balls, and I can do whatever I want. So you you better come talk to me. Okay, that's another question, though. How did he know what they did the night before? That is a good question. I mean, I I could throw out a couple things like Harris had some sort of a recording thing in his car. Um, but I don't think he could have found out that he was shot and buried in the scope of six hours or whatever time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think so either. And even if Harris did have a recording thing in his car, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess they would have, he would have at least known they were there. It's not a pedophile ring. Why does the girl at the halfway house tell Amelia, you got to write about this. If you really want a good story, write about this story. Because it's, she was a runaway and the story about what happens to runaways, runaway girls, I think is still just a big, big thing and totally fair to bring up. Uh, But I think she was talking about Mary July situation. You want I to think really she was write talking about about her own situation because well, she didn't believe she didn't believe anything Mary July said. I think it's it wasn't she, us. If you want to write about us, me and Mary July and girls like us, the, there's another. Okay, but but even even though okay, they she the girl at the home and the guy that they interviewed earlier that was in her group when. Julie was talking about her previous life. It was nothing bad that they told us. She was a princess in a pink room. I mean, it was nothing. I was abused and and all this. You could be right, but I just don't think there was enough evidence for that to satisfy me. I think it's dr- evidence dripping all over the script. Like the kid. Another thing on Reddit, that kid that voluntarily came in and interviewed the mm-hmm. young man. He was wearing a spiral necklace. If you go back and look, like we didn't notice it at the time. Somebody on Reddit figured it out. But if you go and look at that again, he's wearing a spiral necklace, a spiral medallion on his necklace. So it's all over these spirals that's and dolls. Weird. Yeah, that's even weird too, though, because so he was abused. And he decided to like get a tattoo of the abuse on him. Or well, I think that's the nature of it. abuse, though. It's such it's so insidious that it turns the victims into perpetrators. Yeah. I'm uncomfortable with all that. Well, that's good, Michelle, that you're uncomfortable with abuse. Well, that's not exactly what I meant, but but I am. But I'm uncomfortable with that storyline. That just that doesn't ring really true. To me, but, but I, they, I mean, we'll see if they bail on it now. That's then they've introduced a bunch of stuff that didn't mean anything. Well, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think they were tying it into season one because higher ups are in season one involved in this. 
but it doesn't have to be the exact same story. It could be a story where that's looked at, but it's just, it just wasn't the case. Um, because somebody runs away and they get into trouble when they've ran away, in my view, doesn't necessarily mean anything about the, I just think it's a red herring. Well, maybe. in 99% of cases, it's probably true. People have bad life situations. They run away. But if you want a really good story, which Pizzolatto wrote into season one and seems to be making a lot of strings connecting back to season one, especially literally Marty and Rust in the computer on this episode, there's got to be some reason for it. But I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Okay, so we start out with Hayes taking Rebecca to college, and we've kind of talked about that already. But he, she finally gets out of the car. They sit there for a minute, and he looks in the rear view and straightens it. And when we come back to his face, it's 1990 Hayes. I like how they do that. I do. Do you like that? How yeah, they, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. They're at the board. They're at the border of using it a little too much because it's so cool, but it is pretty freaking cool. Oh, I love it. I think they've, I mean, it's just perfect to me. I think they've done it. Um, and I like how they're doing it more toward the end because we do have this sort of mishmash of Hayes' mental abilities and his, how everything's kind of flowing together about the timeline, his, his timeline, which is just super, super interesting. I mean, I love how they did that, mm -hmm. but he is in 1990 and he's at that watchtower and he's going up and we see the blood on the steps and he gets up there and it's Tom who has, um, obviously been planted there with a bullet through his head and a suicide note and a shoe 15 steps down. Yeah. You don't lose your blood. shoe when you shoot yourself in the head. That's a good point, too. Yeah. Yeah, there were a couple yeah. clues. I've noticed positioned perfectly. Like, he, he shoots himself, he falls perfectly onto the note. A couple drops of blood for good theater. Yeah, and it's typed. I don't picture Tom typing a note. Do you? No. And he wasn't at the right. top of the steps. He was like halfway up the thing. Like, oh, this guy's heavy. Let's just get it over with here. <laughs> I think if you shoot yourself, you go to the very tip top and do it. Well, we know that didn't happen, though. I mean, we're not even contemplating that. We saw Harris James come up behind him at the end of the last episode. Well, Michelle, we know West Coast happened. Project, we consider all leads. We, okay. we give equal innocence to all characters until they're guilty yeah okay okay so then we see Hayes come into the house and Amelia is trying to tell him about the one-eyed man at her reading and he's interrupting her to ask where the kids are I guess he's stressed out about Tom and what happened with Tom and when she finally gets it out he's super interested in what she's saying and she says he's out there and he's looking for her too and he might be the reason that she ran away. And, um, yeah, this guy's another mystery. This June Watts guy, Mr. June or Mr. Watts. Yeah. Like, why is he so, why was he so impassioned at Amelia's reading? Almost like I'm a concerned citizen impassioned, not I'm a criminal trying to prevent you from uncovering my deeds. 
Because, okay, because I think that he cared for her. Yeah. Right? I mean, he, he wasn't abusing her. And he was willing to come out because he cared for her. He was her caretaker, we assume, because he was Isabel's caretaker. Right. Or Will. He had a special affinity with Will. Like, it almost seems like when they went to the park every week to fake play with the kid with the dog that they really didn't do, they essentially went to see these Hoyt people. And Isabel probably interacted with Julie and Watts probably interacted with Will. Because Will was playing Dungeons and Dragons with Watts, I see, and I think, and Julie was probably doing the doll girly thing with Isabel. Okay, am I just not thinking? Do we know what happened to Isabel? Uh, I don't know. Because I'm drawing a complete blank on it. Because she's not around either, right? They haven't even talked about talking to her. Yeah, I don't remember. Well, put this in the stupid category of next week's preview. Okay. Well, Tom, or Tom, Hayes grabs her by the shoulders and tells her about Tom. And she is just floored about it. And he blames himself, him and West. And I think he really blames himself because he was the one, well, they both were really, that decided to put the thumb screws to Tom. Okay, then we go to 2015. Eliza's asking Hayes if he ever questioned whether Tom actually committed suicide. And he says, you know, this was a medical examiner's call, and Tom had plenty of reason to. And then Eliza points out that he had this swollen contusion on the back of his skull, and that then she had a medical examiner look at it, or a new medical examiner looked at it, and said the gunshot would not account for that. But they're saying that it ended the investigation just like in 1980, a sudden death, and the case is closed. And Hayes says that he's never thought of it that way. Yeah. And then we immediately goes go back to Hayes talking to Wes, saying the exact same thing. This is too much like 1980 with a sudden death and then everything ending. Yeah, so I'm going to repeat that Eliza is way too knowledgeable, and in this, she's made this her life's study of this crime to figure it out, to get the answers. I mean, even in even in shows like Making a Murderer, they don't give that many details. <laughs> Whoever was producing Making a Murderer wasn't that interested in it. They were doing a good job, and people that do documentaries usually do good jobs at it. But she's she's like intimately interested and tied up in this. Well, that is a good point about it. It will be super interesting if she is, has a personal reason for doing that. To to the point of like, I think literally sleeping with somebody to get in on the fast track to the info. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way that that would tie it all together. But they kind of argue back and forth because Hayes says that, you know, they didn't make the phone call. They just did their job. And if they hadn't done it, somebody else would have done it to to Tom and uh, eaten him alive. And Hayes is ready to continue with the investigation with the man with one eye. But Wes just wants him to slow down. He's upset. Well, so, Michelle, this means kind of what I was saying last week, that they would have eaten Tom alive, meaning those cops. If they interviewed him, they would have torn him up. We tore him up a little less, but we 
we shielded him from that. Yeah, but yes. But this is not what they think. If they think he killed himself, they think it's because of them. They don't think he killed himself. I think they do. I think they do here think he killed himself. I think maybe over the course of time they don't. But maybe. I think right well, here, they're not very good cops if they think that because of what we just talked about as viewers. Well, they're better yeah. cops than we are viewers seeing what we saw. Well, but the medical examiner said it was a suicide. And I mean, you know, there is a note. I guess you could would question it maybe. But I mean, West is obviously feeling guilty. Maybe not Hayes. Hayes questions everything. But West is feeling guilty over it. He feels like he's done this. And... Yeah, West would, West is another interesting curveball. He he's either twisted anything said or he's somehow I don't know, West is an enigma. He's hard to get a grasp on. Well, yeah, we also see here this is where Hayes tells him that Amelia saw the one-eyed black man and that's something. They have something they can continue with. And West tells him this isn't the place for him to work out his stuff. And then Hayes throws out the, "Are you have you been drinking already this morning? Or how much have you been drinking? Or whatever. And Wes gets angry and walks away. So they're starting to do this. And we still don't know what what their actual break was, do we? Was it Harris James, you think? Because they talked after that. It's a good reason for their break. I, I don't know if it's the final break, but it, I would accept it if it was. Yeah, West, yeah, I think West so. is cruising along on his career, does a favor to Hayes to make him come back out of the doldrums and get kind of back on track with his career. That's believable. Yeah, but that hurts Hayes' feelings okay. because Hayes thinks he brought him back because he's good and he was on the case and he wanted him to finish the case. Well, these two guys are very intimate with each other, too. The, the whole insult about you've been drinking this morning, that's a very base type of personal insult. Right. And so Hayes thinking that, hey, you got me into this because I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a designated hitter that can come in and hit the home run for you. And, oh, no, you just did this so I don't have to sit on the bench anymore. That's, that's insulting to Hayes. So it's pretty, pretty intimately personal, the reasons behind their motivation to be insulting to each other. And isn't it kind of funny because I think we see way, uh, West get close with people. He got close with Lori. He's close with Hayes. Um, he's close with Tom. But we don't really see Hayes get close with anybody, not even his wife. So that's kind of kind Yeah, I have to of let different. that sink in. I don't know that he doesn't get close. He's certainly... No, he talks about it all the time. They bring it up all the time about how Hayes was shut off and, and you know, Don't do what I did with you. Right. Yeah. That that was oh. also I don't know if we get to that in this course of this re- recapping the episode, but that was also very interesting about his interaction with Henry. Don't don't do what I did. Yeah, no that that was last episode. Yeah, and that's what he talks about as far as Henry uh, not being close to his wife, and he said he didn't mean to pass that on to him. That was an accident. He didn't know Henry was picking that up. But right. Hayes is kind of a tough, he has a tough exterior. 
Okay, then we go back to 1980, and Tom is packing up to leave. West is walking up to him. He kind of blocks his um, exit from his car. Tom says that if he thought Julia would come back, he'd stay. But the police now say she's gone, so he's got nothing left. Wes wants to know where he's going, and Tom says nowhere. Wes gives Tom his personal phone number and tells him if he ever has trouble to give him a call. Tom hesitates, but then he finally takes it. Yeah, this is all code of Tom going off to kill himself. I'm leaving home to stop feeling. Yeah, but this is 10 years prior, right? This was 1980s, Tom. Yeah, I know, but it's kind of all, it's all kind of, Sets the stage as Tom being a suicidal, potential suicide. Like, it's not unfeasible that he would kill himself. Yeah. Those children, Roland tells him, those children don't want you to hurt yourself. Yeah, but he's like, the children don't want anything anymore. Which was kind of shocking and horrible thing to hear. Yeah, man. God, Michelle, I think that's, those children don't want anything at all. That's Mm -hmm. the saddest thing in all affairs. (laughs) I think, in love and parenthood and friendships, just not wanting anything at all, not caring or not being able to care anymore. It's it's yeah. almost worse than hate. Well, sure, yeah. I mean, yeah, apathy being the opposite of love, which is kind of what you hear. And But that's not them, of course, as we know it, although it may be with Julie that we didn't know, but... Um, but yeah, I mean, just not being able to, not that that, that was horrible. It was a horrible. Well, thing not 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 being able to, like, because Julie's still alive. The fact that she doesn't want Tom because she doesn't think he's her dad. That's well, that's what. Yeah, not that but she's I'm, dead and can't do it. I, I think, and in love affairs and stuff, when people just don't care about you anymore, that's worse than them hating you. I agree. Um, but we still, okay, this is, and it could just be me, but this is the first time that the switching around of the timeline has kind of thrown me off a little bit because I'm trying to remember every other time it's been seamless to me and I've not had any issue at all. So like I said, it could just be lack of sleep or whatever, but we see them back together again. So Tom is going off to get drunk. And I'm trying to remember the timeline. It was 1990, Tom. No, no, it wasn't. Was it not? Which Tom was in the bar with Lucy's? That was 1980, Tom, right? With Lucy's boss that he was blaming for having an affair with her? Yeah, because he was... He because was he wasn't jealous so, or yeah. whatever. He was angry. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to keep this in context um, because we know at some point West is reconnected with him. Right. Because they got close and I can't imagine this were the, was the, the close, you know, him just handing him his phone number. I know that he's allowed him to sleep on his couch and all that, but I'm picturing some kind of something going on in the last 10 years, or am, am I just... No, I could put that to... in the same timeline as him going to 
get Tom, you know, the same timeline of Tom being sober. I could picture this as the same timeline, maybe the beginning of that timeline. Okay. So do you think they had any contact in those 10 years is what I'm asking between the time Tom drives off here and the time West finds him in his trailer having coffee Oh, I don't know. I don't know how to compare this scene with that timeline, if that's what you're saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. This is the first time I've had a hard time trying to reconcile all that. It's like that's starting to feel complicated to me. What does it matter, with all due respect, though? It's it's clear that West cares about Tom, whether it's before 10 years Yeah, but I'm just wondering, is this the end of it? Like, was this the end of their friendship? And I guess it doesn't matter, but it just seemed like more would have happened. And I know a lot. that's a lot, and they had all that, you know, uh, interaction and everything, but it just seems like when he met up with him, you know, Tom's talking about how he saved him and all that kind of stuff. Did he say he saved him after the Lucy thing? Yeah, I think this could be, I mean, this could be after that because Julie calls and says, hey, don't mess with me. Mm -mm. You're not my real. This was 1980. With the, with the. When Tom's leaving. Are you sure? No. (laughs) I think it is though. Well, I'm almost thinking it's, it's his old Chevelle. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that car was the car he had when the kids were in on the bikes. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure this is it because he's saying I was staying here for Julie and now Julie, you know, you're saying she's gone too. And so it has to be 1980. Right. Because so we know the, Julie's not actually gone in 1990. It it's the beginning of Tom of of way, of Roland reach, reaching out to Tom and saying, "Hey, if you need any help, here's my card. Don't do anything rash." And right. Tom realizing, wow, maybe I have a little support in this guy and I can connect with him. Right. Anyway, that's what I'm talking about. That's the only thing that I'm saying is that at this point, this is starting to be a little bit confusing to me. Only because you have to think about, okay, this is 1980 and we know they're back together in 1990. But right after that in 1990, Tom's dead. And at what point did this happen? And it just it just feels like a lot to remember. It's the first time that's happened in their totally effortless back and forth with the timeline. So. Well, Michelle, we got enough to figure out without special things that confuse you individually. I'm sorry. Okay. So then we see Amelia, and she's walking to Margaret, who is the woman that was Lucy's best friend all those years. She's walking through this dilapidated neighborhood to Margaret's house. And Margaret, is, this is 1990, Amelia. I thought, was, I thought that woman's name was Patty. Is it Patty? I thought so. Why do you think that? I don't know. I didn't. Okay. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. It's the it's the fat doll maker lady that's Being always in every scene. Nice goodness gracious. She, I I looked up her name. I couldn't find her name anywhere, and I saw Margaret on the IMDb. I think, but I could be wrong. Anyway, well, Michelle, let me tell you. Okay, tell me. Uh, well, now I gotta freaking look it up. Uh, sometimes they have the face, which, which really helps. Yeah. That's what I saw. Hmm. Let me see if there's a Margaret. Knowing me, I could have absolutely, um, looked up her real name 
So, <laughs> I don't think so, though. Margaret Merriweather, fat lady who makes wreaths and dolls. That is not what it <laughs> says. <laughs> no, That's Patty Faber. Okay, so her name's Patty in this. Where did I get Margaret? Patty was questioned. She made several dolls and sold at a festival in October. That no, was... that's Patty. That's the older woman. Yeah, that's who I thought you were talking about. No, no. Amelia is going to see Lucy's best friend. Remember the woman you're always talking about that's in the thing? She's not the one who made the dolls. Oh, okay. The old woman made the dolls and sold them at the church thing. That's Patty. Well, I don't see a Margaret, but there is a Patty. Yeah, this is not Patty. We talked about Patty. Patty was the old gray-haired woman that made the dolls. Okay. Okay. So I'm pretty sure. Let me look now because I don't want to say it wrong. Um. Anyway, I'll I'll try to look it up. I can't do that while I'm talking. I'm not skilled skilled enough. But Amelia is asking her if she knew a one-eyed black man that Lucy might have known. And she explains to her about the Cornhusk dolls and how she got one at Halloween. And this is where Margaret goes to the photo album and pulls out that photo of Julie and Will. And the ghosts are in the background. And yeah, so this isn't the woman who makes the dolls who's been hanging around with Lucy every meeting and all that. This isn't Patty, the same woman? I think it's the same woman. It's not the same woman. It, it's not the same. She's not the... She did make stuff, and she's talking about making that. But don't you remember, Patty was the... Okay, go back to Patty, who was the one making who said she had sold the dolls and Hayes was asking her what the black man with one eye looked like. Yeah. Do you remember? And she's like, well, he was black. That was not this woman. Okay. I thought that this woman was the woman that was next to Lucy at the community meeting. And it is. That's her. Patty. This woman that Amelia's talking to now, same woman. I thought. Why do you keep calling her Patty? Because her name's Patty Faber. No, no. These are two different people. I don't know why you're thinking Patty. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I don't know why you're thinking Patty was the one that did this. Well, I Tell don't know why. why you're thinking she wasn't. Because no, I it's think, not the same person. Well, I think I think it is. Well, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I can't. Okay. She, her picture. Now that I'm looking at it, her picture does not look like the woman that Amelia is talking to in this old dilapidated house. Patty has white hair. She's. I mean, they're both kind of overweight, elderly women. But I don't know. Okay, it's not the same person. Check your check your text message. I just sent sent you that. I didn't know how else to send it. All right, whatever. So what's your point? What's my point about what? <laughs> I didn't have a, I was just talking about the scene. Um, this is Margaret. Margaret was the one that was with Lucy the whole time. She was with her when, when the, at first I thought Margaret was Tom's mother because they showed them like, you know, back and forth. 
when Tom's mother was talking about Lucy at the, when, when we just found out that she was, uh, that the kids were gone. Um, but this is Margaret. This is the one that was at the town meeting with Lucy and all that. This is not the same woman. They had to search for Patty, who was the one who made the dolls from the church that the people bought the dolls from. It was not, not the same woman at all. Okay. Okay. So, but Amelia's asking her about the one-eyed black man. She says she did not know any of that kind of stuff. But the ghost in the background of that picture, and then she does not want to let Amelia take the picture she won't let her have it at first, but then she walks her to the door, reluctantly gives her the picture. She makes her promise that she'll come back, and I mean, like come yeah, back so, tomorrow. Yeah. So, so what about that, Michelle? Is she just a hoarder lady that doesn't want to give anything up to other people outside her house to take away from her house, or is she doing this nefariously to get her to come back the next day? Yeah, I don't think she necessarily wanted her to come back. I think she she says something. Amelia asks her, why haven't you moved to town? And she says, why would I? Which is a shocking thing to say. And then she says, somebody has to remember. She is devastated over these children um, well, they make her look like a hoarder lady that just is this crazy lady that makes she's making a freaking wreath for Tom's suicide. So that's kind of right. wacky. But she lives in a dumpy house on the outskirts of town and she's got stacks of bundled newspaper. She looks like and she's got like some pet feeding thing out in the front yard. She looks like a wacky old hoarder lady. Yeah. So yeah, that but, might explain but she why. Didn't, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That might explain why. I can't let you have this picture because that means you're taking away from my collection of things. That's which, what a hoarder lady would think. Absolutely. But it's also sort of suspicious. Like, if I know you're coming back tomorrow, I could have somebody here to meet you tomorrow that you might not want to talk to. Then you might not come back if I asked you to come back. Because she changes her mind with this picture. She doesn't want to give it to her. And then she thinks for a minute and then does give it to her on the condition that she comes back. I think Margaret loved those kids. She was, I mean, I know like my friend's children and how I feel about my friend's children. And I think that she just was really close to them. And she probably saw that Lucy wasn't the best mom and who knows how she might have mothered those children. And I think we also saw them and I know we saw back when Will and Julie were little back in 1980 and the trick-or-treating and all that, her house didn't look like that. She had like this uh, neat house and she was excited and standing outside and looking at all this stuff, you know, and, and everything was like decorated and all this. She was living on the outskirts of town, but she lived in the neighborhood that Tom and Lucy lived in. Um, and everybody else is just gone, and she's still there. So you're saying this is a different house, or that the no. neighborhood's just gone downhill? The neighborhood's gone. Downhill. So what? So that makes her more suspicious, though. Like she's giving out dolls. That dolls are. She was not giving out the dolls. 
She was just observing. You're confusing her. All right. I'm definitely confusing her because I thought she was the doll making lady and the, obviously Absolutely the lady at the not. bar in the community. She was the lady at the bar, but she was not the doll maker. I promise. All right. Well, she's making a wreath for Tom. That Doesn't that make it confusing? <laughs> she's making something arts and craftsy for somebody as a spiritual thing. Yes. And that's super interesting. And I even had that little thought for a minute, too. <clears throat> but she is not the one who made the dolls. She's not the one that handed out the dolls? No. All right. Then that changes my whole thing of her. Because I think the handing out of the dolls, which creates that child as a marker for, okay, pick this one up. She's got the doll. That's pretty evil. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think now. Now you're, I'm getting confused. I don't think she was the one who handed out the dolls. I think that's important because if, if she's just an old hoarder lady, I've got a kind soul. I do things for people. I love to see kids happy. I give them little doll things. That's one thing. But if she's, I guess if she's on the Hoyt payroll, it's not a very good freaking payroll because she's living in a dump. But she's somehow, if she is connected with the Hoyts, like handing out these marker dolls. No, well, no, no, no. Okay, you can no. say no, but there's if she is the doll lady, and the doll lady and the wreath-making lady being two separate people is odd to me. Okay, 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 yes. Yeah. She is not, I'm, I'm, I'm having to think about this while we're talking about it, and it's I don't have the brain capacity to do that, but she is not the one who gave out the dolls. Nobody gave out the dolls that night. All right. Um, Julie had a doll because the one-eyed black man bought the dolls, remember? That's what Patty said. The one-eyed black man came and bought the dolls. So he's the one who gave Julie the doll. He was presumably the ghost in the background. Right. Yeah. She is a, a, she was a friend to Lucy. She was a neighbor. She watched these children grow up, presumably, and she loved the kids. I'm assuming everything, you know, Lucy dies, the kids are gone, Tom's gone, and, yeah, you're painting her in a good light, and hopefully she is a nice, good person. But I'm just trying to say that if she somehow wants wants Amelia to have this picture so it's a way that she, Amelia has to come back and give this woman a window to get somebody there to do something to Amelia, I'm just saying that's some interesting option that might be possible. Yeah, I don't think that at all. I think she didn't want to give the picture to Amelia, and she and Amelia wanted that. She just showed her the picture, and then Amelia wanted the picture, and she said, no, 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 and she held it. And then as Amelia was walking out, she said, you know, you have to bring this back, and only because she is like this hoarder, and she can't let anything go. I guess and, we'll find out, so we don't need to keep going around about it. But it's just interesting, and then the and whole... maybe because she's lost everything, right? I mean, she's lost everything. She lost her friend. She lost these kids. And I know a lot of times that th those kind of dramatic life events kind of kick off that hoarding thing. She was not the hoarder back in 1980. This has all changed 
since this happened. Yeah. I mean, but if the picture helps somebody resolve or find a child, she'd be, you know, take whatever you need to find that child if she's that. Right. But it wasn't the police coming to her. This is just Amelia. It's just somebody writing a story. I could completely understand if it were the police. Anyway, I agree. We've beat that to death. Okay, so 2015, Eliza's asking Hayes about his wife writing the sequel to the book, and Hayes says she decided not to do that. She had other stories to write. There's a knock on the door, and this is where Henry lets West in. And then Eliza is still talking to Hayes, and she asks if any of Amelia's research indicated any kind of cover-up. And Hayes says no, and then asks her if she has any evidence to the contrary. Yeah, he's digging for what she knows about what he wants to stay buried. Right. So then we go back to 1990, and Hayes and West are pulling up to the hotel where Dan O'Brien was. His car's in the parking lot, his room's ransacked, his wallet's there, um, but... He's nowhere to be found. They kind of questioned the guy at the hotel, and no one heard anything or saw anything. And then they're looking for prints and discussing how they've lost him. And what did your husband say about that Mercury Capri, Michelle? Why is that such a hot car? I I didn't even think to ask him. I need to ask him. I didn't know that was important to me. Sorry. I'm making a note right now. Too late. I don't care anymore. (laughs) Okay. Um, So then we go back to 2015, and Hayes is watching Kent on Eliza's laptop giving that press conference about what happened to Tom, and that now they've realized Tom was the bad guy. Woodard, his conviction is going to be overturned. Yeah, this guy's a flip-flopper of all extremes, isn't he? The Tom suicide solves everything. Oops, we were wrong about Woodard. Sorry about that. He's absolved. Next case, move me another step up the ladder. Yeah. What a dick. Yeah, it's it's like they sullied this guy's memory. And, I mean, I mean, you know, Woodard had reason to have his memory sullied, I guess. You know, well, not I guess, for sure, based on what he did. But he wasn't the kid killer. Kent doesn't care. He just wants somebody blamed for it so he can say i wrap that up you know dust seems like he'd be opening a pretty big can of leo worms where these kids could come in and say well you're an idiot because you convicted him and ruined our lives and his life and now you have a 400 million dollar lawsuit no not really because i mean look at what he did do if he had spent that time in jail okay i guess he, he did you know set the trap wire and start killing everybody who was close in proximity um still makes Hayes, the, still makes Kent look like a dope for con- being so convinced that he did the child crimes yeah it absolutely makes him look like he couldn't care less about finding out the truth and he's only interested in furthering his career that's all he right. just wants wants it settled and that's it I that, that's how I took that but Hayes is telling Eliza that he saw that live and that he was never satisfied with the conclusions. He says, but he's never been satisfied with any part of the case. Okay, then we go back to 1980, and this is where Hayes is washing dishes, and Amelia comes up and hugs him from behind, and she goes to her notes, and she sees they're wet. So he's been over there going through her stuff. Okay, 
I'm interested in your take on this scene, considering everything that you've talked about. Yeah, I think you're right. He's sneaking through her notes and she catches him. Right. Um, it's interesting because he seems to support her now. I mean, I guess that's not so mysterious because he wants the truth out more than anything. Other people want this case to be closed just to close it, not because it's solved. I think he says something like that. So he encourages her to write the story about it. And he's scrubbing real anger. He's mad at this. He tells her she should write this this whole thing out. Right. Is is he scrubbing the plate like that because he doesn't really want her to do this? Or is he just mad about the situation that that an author would have to be the one to come in and actually find some truth. Yeah, I think this. it's a mi- complicated mix of things. Like, I couldn't do my job as the cop to do this, so if you can help do it, that would be a good part of the solution. Like, he has to get her involved or encourage her to be more involved. is frustrating to him. Right. Well, she even asked him, is this a conflict of interest? Yeah. Because of what they're doing. And he says people should know it was closed because they wanted it closed, not because it was solved. Right. So he's kind of, in, like you said, encouraging her to get involved in this because the end result to him is finding out the truth. Well, this is another clue to me that it's something nefarious about child prostitution because she wants to write the story about the community more than the crime. And I think that's the community around this crime of people that powerful people that enlist recruiters and, you know, people that are landscape people that go out and find people and people at convents and halfway houses and all this in the June West, June Watts of the world and all all this crazy stuff to support this 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 pipeline of children. Getting recruited. But then that wouldn't mean that Kent is somehow involved. Maybe he is. That's why he wants it solved. So yeah, okay, superficially, uh, that, that's going to. I'm really going to dislike that story. I'm just warning you ahead of time if they do that because it's more about apathy to the truth and furthering his career. Than, than it seems in any way about anything more sinister. And that's sinister enough, but... But that's Pizzolatto's story. That was season one. Powerful people covering up because they can. They, the, Marty and uh, what, Rust found part of the small part of the perpetration of the crime, but not the powerful people behind it. And maybe this is... Pizzolatto's solution to that by introducing the fix to find the more powerful people. This is Pizzolatto's what? theme, the powerful people with the taking advantage of underprivileged, less powerful people. Right. Yeah. What year, do you know, did the McConaughey um, Harrelson thing take place? It was before 1980, so I I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Just because that would matter, too. I really wish I had a timeline. I should have done a timeline. Okay, so then we go to 2015, and Eliza is asking Hayes if he knew about the one-eyed black man named Watts that went around looking for Julie even after Tom died. And... 
West is on the other side of the house telling Henry that they came to him and he told them he wasn't talking, that it could be dangerous. He told her to fuck off. He told her angrily, get the fuck out of here. I don't want to talk to you. Right. On the other side of that West Hayes coin, Hayes is sitting down for interviews. And right. and Eliza calls Watts a procurer for Hoyt, which is a different word than a just a the workman, the the, the business assistant, the, the the manager, the time manager. He's a procurer, which means nefarious things. I think. Well, right. I mean, she thinks he procu- procured Julie for sure. Not I a think. Procure, that's that's what I'm saying, though. I guess right. procure doesn't mean a one-time thing. It means your job is to. They created a job for the guy, not just for one time, but for probably more than one person. Yeah, but they haven't shown us other kids in the area gone missing unless it somehow does tie in to season one. And I guess they could do that. I don't know. And, And Hoyt could be in on it. I don't think Kent is in on it. I think Kent is just couldn't care less about... Who gets charged as long as somebody gets charged and he moves up the ladder. But but like I was saying, West is talking to Henry and he's telling him that this could be dangerous. And Henry's like, how can this be dangerous to my dad? And West says um, he has the loaded gun on his desk as he's going through this stuff. And that kind of shocks Henry. And then we go to Eliza. She's telling Hayes about how dolls are used as signifiers, like what you were talking about. And then she shows him the picture. What do you think about that? Yeah, you know, I guess I guess we're supposed to follow these clues, Michelle, that the spirals are the pedophiles and the dolls are the markers to pick the kid as the doll. That's the one to pick. It's code. It's code in this nefarious underground society of pedophiles. To it's a system that they have. But it just makes absolutely no sense because we have this woman Patty just making these dolls, and that would mean she would have to be in on this. Or she's a dupe of some sort and in on it without unwittingly being. You know, she's she's not very I guess. bright. Uh, well, uh, you're confusing her with Margaret again. All right, this is pissing me off, this doll lady. Yeah, I promise, two different people. Um, but they show this photo of McConaughey and Harrelson as the two detectives that stopped a pedophile case. Okay, it was in 2012. I wrote it down. Whoo, good, okay. So this was not back then. This would have had to have been a precursor, a long precursor. Right. What do you What do you mean? First of all, you asked me about picture. What picture are you talking about? The picture that they showed of McConaughey and Harrelson. Oh. We kind of talked about it. Yeah, yeah that was really cool. It's not a picture. It's I'm, on a laptop screen. Right. She's, right. The she's, photo. She's, I'm guessing that you are making that the identifier picture for this podcast. No, I'm not. I haven't okay. decided yet. That no, that's been... Eliza's spilling all the stuff to Wayne, who's craftily getting her to tell because he's feigning like, "Oh, what do you what do you know that I didn't know?" Like she's he's getting her to spill all this to him. So she explains Marty and Rust about what they did pre 1980. No, it wasn't pre 1980. It was a pedophile case in 2012. Is what I wrote down. No, it can't be Michelle. There, this was. 
can't be. This, they were way back. They were way back. Well, they were way back, and then they were older, right? Yeah, they were old. Well, sure. The picture, maybe somebody took a picture of them in 2012. They looked older in that picture. Yeah. It was an article about them, and maybe they got them together and took a picture. But I think their case was... No. Remember, back then, there there was a timeline, too. They were questioning um, McConaughey when he was older, about what happened back then. And Harrelson, too, I guess, if I remember right. This has been years, you know? I mean, I know we podcast it, but I don't remember. But they were questioning him about what happened. It was the same kind of timeline thing, but not nearly as in-depth as we're doing here. Okay, so I think Rust and Marty were before... 1980, the cases that they were solving, they may have gone back and interviewed them and put them in an article that look makes them look old as of 2012. I agree that that's possible. Okay. But, but so what? They're connecting Rust and Marty's case to this one because of the pedophile ring that they hinted at. And okay, Marty and Mike, Rust but you can't say so what if we're talking about something that they did in 2012. It's 2015 now, and this stuff happened back in 1980. That's important. Yeah, not necess- Not if somebody just wrote an article about them. I mean, this this Eliza's doing a case about 1980, and it's 35 years later. She's you know she's investigating their case, and she found out there was a similar case right before or around the time by Marty yeah. and Rust. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go back and watch that because I did write down 2012, and I don't know why I would have put that. It's I don't think that was possible that just- that article was 2012 because I think Marty and Rust looked relatively older than they did in their episodes of season one. But do you remember in season one, it was a time jump too? Yeah, of course. So I can't remember all of that. I don't, I don't, I say so what not to mock you, but I think so what in the, in the event that the two cases are related, I don't think I need to know the numbers of the dates. I just think it's interesting that, they might be related. Well, the thing about it is, is that if this were like this big thing that were going on in 1980 and they were related, like Hoyt was one of the big people that just didn't get busted in this, or maybe he did get busted in the 1980 case. That's what, or in, in the, uh, rust case back then. I don't know that that's what I'm trying to piece together now, kind of on the fly remembering something that we podcast years ago. Yeah, but, so I don't think he got busted because he's on the loose. He's still free to do whatever. I think he's one of the big shots that was probably, because they talk about Louisiana, they talk about Louisiana, I think Nebraska and and um, Arkansas in this season. So the, Louisiana was clearly Marty and Rust's situation. Right. Right, but he could have gotten, but that—that's why I think the timeline's so important because he could have gotten busted in this. Hoyt could have if it happened after maybe this happened. That's all I'm saying. Maybe the 2012 articles about Hoyt getting busted finally. Maybe that's the case. Yeah, I don't know, but. Hayes gets kind of upset, and he starts to question Eliza. He says he deserves answers. 
And she says that she thinks something that happened with the Purcell children was connected to a similar group, that one of the parents sold them off, probably with the cousin's help, and that's why they're all gone. Everybody is dead now. Uh, High-level people are often implicated, people with power to make this stuff go away. They essentially forced Hayes out of major crimes, and then in 1990, he left the force completely because of the way he was, you know, obviously treated or whatever. And then she asked him again if he didn't see something that was like forced conclusions or ignored evidence. And this is where Hayes says that he just did his best and he learned to live with the ambiguity. And Eliza's like, well, I'm disappointed. I wanted you to talk about, um, you know. But but Hayes is tricking Eliza here. He's tricking her into getting information from her. Well, he's just not going to give up this information to her. Well, he also has to act like he doesn't know things, so she tells him things so that he knows what she knows. He's crafty here. He's getting her to tell her things he may have even forgotten that he needs to be refreshed on, but he's feigning like he doesn't know it and getting her to tell him things. Well, he's done that the whole the whole time. He'll yeah. ask her something more or just basically lie to her. She'll say, do you remember so-and-so? And he'll say no. And then in the very next scene, we see exactly right. him doing that. So I don't think I don't think the Hoyts of the world stumble into these things like, oh, wow, here's here's a kid living in our town that we could get because my daughter happened. To... I think the implication in the story that Pizzolatto is writing is that there's a whole rec- there's a whole assembly line of getting these kids involved and there's a procurer and there's markers and there's recruiters and scouts and all all this stuff is in place by these powerful people to get these kids and this whole situation with the daughter and the car accident is interesting because it's we got to figure that part of it out well, that's what I'm saying. If it hadn't been for that, then I could go along with it a whole lot better. If they had taken Will as well, I could go along with it a whole lot better. But the fact that they killed Will, however that happened, which we don't know, that's another thing we have to find out. And the and Isabel lost a daughter. She wanted a daughter. They got her another daughter. It just seems it's it's too perfect of a side story for them to have gotten Julie for uh, pedophiles. Maybe, but like I said, then we're going to have to assume that Isabel was used for the same thing because Isabel's not going to lose her daughter, get another daughter and allow something like that to happen to her. Yeah. We don't know about the situation of the car crash either though. Was it that, was it truly just an accident or was it some, you know, was it something also evil? I mean, Eliza says these many words to Wayne in this explanation. She says, like, the kids were sold off probably by Lucy and Dan, probably ended up in a pedophile group. The group's fine runaways. And the kids, she, like, spells out this scenario. Right. I right. don't think. Puzzle, but she could be reading this stuff into that based be, on the other stuff that she has researched. She could be. But if you're Pizzolatto and you're writing a story, do you introduce that as a total red herring into just some all they had was a car accident and they wanted to replace their daughter and they did some evil shit to do that i don't think you write that kind of story if you're pizzolato especially i think that's a great story and i think throwing the other stuff in particularly if eliza is related to julie in some way because she would want to know 
what happened. So she's looking at everything. But I, I don't know. I guess I'm saying I don't. I think Pizzolatto's a better writer than that, and he doesn't throw in a gigantic red herring like that, over yeah. and over. He's done. It wasn't just this scene, this episode. It was in other episodes of this season. I know, but then I'm going to have to think Pizzolatto's a better writer than that because he's not going to write the same story over and over and over again. No, he's he's connecting something he didn't finish off in season one. They caught the Emmett or whoever the guy, the wacky guy in the weird, dumpy scene at the end, but they didn't catch the power people. This is him perhaps showing us the resolution of catching the power people. Well, they got a lot to show us in... One more episode, but we'll see. We'll find out in four days, Mike, and then we don't have to fight anymore. Okay. Um, Hayes goes to Watts, who's in the other part of the house, and he tells him, or Hayes goes to West, and he tells him Watts. Remember the name Watts, because he got that piece of information from Eliza. And this is where West asks him if Amelia would want him to continue with this. And Hayes says that she would want him to finish. We go to 1990, and Hayes is packing up to leave the office when that officer brings him the phone records from 1988 from Lucy's room. And he goes back into the office, starts pouring over it. Um, And, Mike, he does have a pager. He gets page on that beeper, and he's ignoring it. And we see that Amelia's on the other end of the phone. She's trying to reach him. She gets the kids up because she has a meeting. And then we go back to Hayes, and he's on the phone giving West's ID information to get info on flight records. Then we go back to Amelia, and she's at the bar. She's talking to that bar owner. This is 1990. Of course, I don't know if I said that. But she's asking if Lucy got a lot of male visitors when she worked there. And, of course, the guy's going, yeah, of course she did. um, We see the kids in the back of the car. She's sitting at the window so she can look at them. And Amelia asks specifically about a black man and a white woman, and he says no. And then she asks about just the black man with the missing eye, and he says that the cousin was with him. Yes, Dan O'Brien. And then Amelia glances out the window. The kids are gone. She runs outside, but they've just fallen asleep. Yeah, so so the the distinction I took from this was between Lucy and Amelia at this bar. The sawhorse bar. Amelia's fear, mm-hmm. and she's out of breath, and she's all f- freaked out about losing her kids. Well, Lucy just works there, and Lucy just sells her kid. Just kind of made a pretty distinct dividing line between the two types of people Lucy and Amelia are. And they're terrified about something happening with their kids. Well, Amelia Hayes, more than Lucy. <laughs> well, that's what I, I actually meant. Hayes and Amelia. Wayne and Amelia, yeah. Yeah, because they're... He comes in after that happens with Tom, and he's like, where are the kids? Where are the kids? Where are the kids? And then we kind of have the Hoyt, uh, you know, threat in the background of the kids. And then here she is looking out the window. I mean, she's literally sitting where she can see them, and she's panicked about them. So, yeah, it's definitely a big, big difference. Okay, so Hayes comes to West's door with the phone records. He goes to his home, and he's telling him that he needs to see this. He's connected a phone number 
that was called eight times in one day or uh, yeah we don't we don't need to grind every detail so he finds that harris called was called a bunch of times harris got flight to vegas the day before flight back out the day after probably gave lucy this heroin shot right so they they hard fact connect harris to lucy's death Yes. So they go to find Harris, but... Well, but Wes doesn't want to. That's important to note here. Wes doesn't want to. He just wants to turn this stuff in. And Hayes, this is where Hayes kind of talks about Tom. He brings up Tom. You know he doesn't want to be with Lucy again. He wouldn't have typed that. Um, And if they take the guy to the barn, he'll break and all this. And he owes it to Tom Let's to do, do it this. this right? Yeah. Uh, one thing I liked in this scene though, at the very end, Roland says, you can stop asking me that. I'm not simple. I love that. Like, let's do it for Tom. Let's let, will you do it if it's for Tom? <laughs> and Roland gets mad. Stop asking me that. I'm not simple. I, I yeah, love he, that. He calls him out on that. Right. He, he realizes that Hayes is trying to, manipulate him but it worked so michelle what do you think with harris do you think he was maybe the guy the first cop at the accident with isabel and all that and then he came up upon that and or maybe her second accident i guess it would have to be her first accident but somehow that's how he got connected to the whole hoyt situation and they they said look we don't want this out in the press could you help us not get this word out and he somehow became trusted to them because of this that they pay him off and he doesn't say anything and then he gets the nice job with them and all that. I think that accident was somehow how Harris got looped into the Hoyt situation. Well, yeah, they kind of talk about that. Um, yes, I think probably my get this is a guess, but I, I would guess that Isabel, the accident she had before they put her with Watts, before they essentially put a bodyguard on her, um, was she tried to kill herself because she ran into a guardrail. And I think probably Hayes kept that out of the, you know. Record. Yeah. So Harris kept it out of the record. Harris, Harris. sorry, yeah. So this next scene is the killer one, the maid telling what she saw while she was an employee at the Hoyt house. This answered more than anything else, I think, in this episode. And I don't know how they found her. Do you even know this maid's name? I just know that she was Regina. Her name's Regina. Yeah, they found her. This was part of the, it was somebody who was on the list that um, Hayes had gotten Henry to look up. Okay. And so, so they found her and they asked her about Harris James and she said she had seen him. Um, And then she goes into the whole thing. This is where we find out everything that we've talked about so flippantly now, that Isabel was Hoyt's daughter, and she lost her husband and child in a wreck in 77. And um, she was troubled. And then one night she had a wreck and put her her car through a guardrail. After that, Mr. June would drive her. And he was close to Hoyt. Mr. June was the only one that was allowed around Isabel. And she doesn't know if that was his actual name. She doesn't know if he's still around, but he was the guy with one eye. That was his identifying marker, and that kind of was kind of shocking. And it's also, they talk about, she's like, 
why are you still police officers at your age? And they're like, oh, this is just what we do. So really they're lying because they're not anymore. And then the girl comes up and asks to go swimming and Hayes thinks it's Becca and he's all messed up for a moment. And Wes just continues to talk to Regina and he asked her why she left. And she says they got all weird around 1981. So this would be right after they took Julie and that the whole staff had to stay in the kitchen or the foyer of the house. Mm-hmm. And this is where she says she thinks Isabel was getting worse. The whole staff, except for Watts, Mr. June. Right. So this still, I'm still confused why June was pub, why Watts was publicly concerned for Amelia writing these crime stories and capitalizing on others' misfortune if he was involved in this crime and he was like the only one allowed to go down into the vault with this entrapped child. That's exactly what I'm saying. That's why I did. That's my point. Exactly. Why would he come public with that and show his concern unless it was just, and I say this cause it's huge, but unless it was just the fact that they got this child to be with Isabel yeah, but As she, a daughter. If that was, even if that was the only reason they got her, she was still in a vaulted room, sort of stuck in there by restraint. Well, she was a prisoner, no doubt. She was a prisoner. But that doesn't mean she wasn't loved and cared for. Well, yeah, but if you're it, June and you're the only one allowed to know this or go down and see the, see the fact that she's in a cell, essentially, in a jail cage... You don't express public concern that you're writing about it. You go to Amelia privately and say, look, this is not going to turn out well for you if you expose this. He, 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 he brought attention to himself at this point. Yeah, because he wanted to find her. She had ran away, and they presumably loved her, and he wanted to find her even at his own expense. He was Why one not? of the ones looking for her, or maybe somebody else was looking for her, and he had to find her before they did. Or maybe something. that would that would be a better explanation. Also, if you're the Hoyts, don't you realize the kid's going to grow up? The kid's going to get to be eight, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, and want to go. I mean, that was Becca. Like, hey, I'm I'm afraid, but I'm going to do it because I want to live my life. I want to go to college and be an adult. And you get to be an adult, you got to let them go, right? That right. the Hoyts, if they were nice people, quote unquote, they would let Julie go. She wouldn't have to escape. And they wouldn't. Well, would they? Because they kind of kept Isabella there. Isabella was grown. That's why I'm saying they're not nice, though. They're, this wasn't. I, 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 we'll see. So we don't need to I don't dive think back they into were nice. This. I'm not saying they were nice. I'm just saying that there's a difference in getting a kid and it's still horrible and horrific and the worst, but in getting a kid and treating her well and making her a princess in a pink room and in selling her into pedophilia right. in the same situation, that's all. And yeah, I mean, we'll see. I know we definitely beat this to death this time, but, um, so Hayes and West are walking away, and West asks if Hayes is okay. And this is where Hayes says he shouldn't have manipulated him back then. Yeah, he apologizes to him. Right. And West is like, well, we're past that. And then we go to 1990. Hayes and West are outside of Hoyt Food at night watching for Harris James. He drives off. They follow him. They wait till he gets um, to a desolate stretch of road, and then they pull him over. Um, 
Did you notice that music playing right there? Yeah, this is a pretty awesome scene of the drone at night flying over this whole scene in their car with the lights off and they're driving, following Harris around. Mm-hmm. And the, the soundtrack was very cool, mysterious, kind of beautiful scene of this music and this cool tracking shot of them following the car. I thought it was very season one-ish that kind of weird music. And it was, a, I, I wrote pink panther because it was just odd. And it kind of reminded me of that for some reason. But, um, but since I've thought about it, it was much more that season one, that kind of weird, something's off about this, but they pull him over. He recognizes them. And, um, so Michelle, I don't understand Roland in this scene. Like, He's kind of mad at Wayne that this went the way it does. Like, you talked shit about Tom to get me to do all this because, you know, they end up taking care of Harris, killing him, but burying him. Like, it just went south. But what was the end game? They beat the hell out of him. What are they going to do? Not kill him? Let him go? And they can't not kill him. So why is Roland so angry at the end of this scene? I think they could not kill him. I mean, he even says in there, he says, I have to know that I'm going to get out of this. And Wes says, you'll get out of it alive. And I think he means that. If if he had given up the information, they would have arrested him. But he didn't, and he wouldn't. Hmm. And they were manipulated by that. But they pull up to the barn, and man, that was, you're right, that was horrible. He's tied up. Um, West is saying that that he's the one that went around interviewing witnesses back then, which was interesting. I'm glad they tied that up. Remember, because we kept hearing about a police officer or somebody people thought was a police officer that was going around questioning people, but nothing was ever ending up in the files about it. They brought that up several times. Hayes brings up how, how Dan O'Brien was saying that these are the people who don't negotiate. And then Harris James starts to slump, and he's saying they've heard him, and he's very convincing. I thought they had killed him like that. No, Did they you? make him. They do this because he's he is already unlikable, but they at least make him try to fight his way out, and that that's how he gets. He doesn't just get shot, which would have been pretty cold blooded. It's pretty cold blooded already by Roland and Wayne, but this gives him a little bit more of a reason to shoot him because he's grabbing for Wayne's gun. Yeah, which wasn't smart either. And this guy is, it it wrapped so much of this up because not only the part that I just talked about, about interviewing everybody for nefarious purposes, but also um, he's he was a police officer, so he could take the fingerprints out. He could go in the evidence room and take out the fingerprints of what happened. So this guy really had, he was working for Hoyt. While he was on the police payroll, right, and well, so this, West- is, this is why I say, what was the real end game? Because Harris knows he's not. Get, I don't think he's getting out of this. It beat the hell out of him almost to the point. I mean, they were really hurting him. They weren't really hurt. I mean, not any more than they had done ribs. before. They didn't break his ribs. You don't break somebody's ribs and they jump up and attack you. They didn't break his ribs. He was just he was just pretending. He was, that was pretending, his but I think they were really. They're pounding him in the ribs with a blackjack. So that you don't, I don't know. I think they were. I thought he was just using his fist. I didn't know he used something yeah, else. I thought he little... had his gloves on and he was just hit. Anyway, he was pretending he wasn't hurt that bad. Um, 
But Harris James is saying, I can only tell you what I know, but I can't breathe. And he's fallen over. So he's acting like, I want to tell you, but I can't. I can't talk. You've hurt me. You've you've uh, broken my ribs. I feel them stabbing my lungs and all this kind of stuff. Uh, Hayes goes over to untie or unhandcuff him. And Hayes and uh, Harris goes for the gun. And then we see them burying him. And West is mad. He's saying here that Hayes manipulated him and all this kind of stuff. And that was... Well, I have your, to agree your, with your, you. your side of it explains West being mad because he thought, well, we'll rough him up. It gives us the info. We let him go. We go on our merry way. He doesn't ever say anything because he can't say anything. can't go to the police. My wow. side of it is I don't see you know I don't see how they could have ever let him go after because uh, I think they pounded him nearly to death literally anyway he was pretty hurt he was hospital hurt he had to go and get treatment for this no I, I don't think I don't think so I don't and I even thought about that you know if if he had had to do that you know could have been you know he was mugged he could have said anything if they had let him go but. I think they had every, I think they were going to arrest him. I think they were going to break the case open, find out what happened, find out his part in it, and arrest him. But, you know, him destroying the the fingerprint evidence, uh, him going around and questioning people, never putting anything in the files, they bring that stuff up for a reason, maybe just to give us the answers, but also to implicate him. He could have been arrested for doing that well, stuff. it's a neat way to tie off the bow end of it is by just killing him, I guess, in story in the story structure. But just it's interesting to me whether they thought he would ever be releasable after they essentially kidnap him and beat him up. Right. Well, yeah. Okay. So then we go to 2015, and this is where West is saying that Harris was Highway Patrol back in '77 in the area where Isabella had her, uh, yeah, had her accident. Um. And that could have been the start of him helping them. Hayes brings up Mr. June and that Lucy met with him, according to Amelia. Uh, because So we have to assume that he didn't even know that then, that Wes didn't know that. And, um, yeah, so they had that whole conversation. Let me see. Yeah, that was, that was the whole thing that I think feeds into it being a a plot to get, a, a, you know, the underground railroad of children into this evil th- nest of guys. Cause it's like he had this Watts was the arranger with Dan and Lucy. It wasn't just like one time. It was probably more than one time. And they remember Amelia as a really good investigator back then. And Wayne t- starts telling, um, uh, rolling about the ghost of Lucy telling him things. She made. What was that all about? Was that his opening up, or was that just his sinking farther into his delusion that he feels like it's okay to tell Wes this stuff? Well, I think he. I think he can tell Wes trustingly this stuff, but I think it tells us as the audience some stuff too, because he essentially says she wants me to finish it. Yeah, and how much of that even could be? kind of supernaturally because we see this again and again in this where Hayes is looking at himself. I mean, he's done it twice now 
and the door moved and stuff. I mean, are they trying to tell us that Amelia's kind of there? Maybe that, that would cheapen it a little bit for me. Mm-hmm. I think she's a pretty powerful memory or a thought in, in Wayne's mind, and she's still with him that way, like kind of like the memory of her wants me to finish it. Even even if it's quasi insane of him to think right. that, I th- I think that's powerful. I think it's a good part of the story that that's why he's so driven. Why are you guys even cops anymore? You're freaking seventy years old. That's why he's driven by this ghost memory of Amelia to finish it. Yeah, he's driven by a lot of ghosts though. We've seen a lot of ghosts. Well, they're all connected to the same thing though. In this, you know, he's not dreaming of the world series of 1940s dreaming of like this case, all this things case, related. but also what happened back in Vietnam. Well, that's we true. see those, those ghosts too. But anyway, they, they see the car outside. So Wes does know that's true, which is kind of interesting coming right on the heels of him talking about Amelia sitting there with him because Wes thought the car wasn't true. They brought, they brought that up before too. Uh, Wes Maybe. looking out the window and going, no, man, no, there's nothing out here, Maybe. you know, talking like that. So Because when he said that the first time, what was that last episode or two episodes ago? Yeah. he does, We don't get to look out the window and see if Wes, Wes is telling us the truth or not. Because earlier in this episode, Wes tells some Henry that you need to keep tracks on him. You need to keep eyes on him all the time. Right. So I think he Henry's in that alone. car. I think Henry's watching his dad at night, making sure he doesn't go out at night and stumble. Okay, around. that's interesting. And okay. I think I think, or, there or he's was got a, somebody on his dad because he's a police yeah. officer. We know, yeah. And I think there was a car out the window that other time, and West just said, "Nope, nobody here. No, nothing to look at here." I think there was a car out there. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think there was then, but. Because I think he didn't believe him, and then now he has to believe him. And he goes out there and takes, like, the the photo of—and and that that was a pretty good distraction, the way Hayes comes out with the baseball bat and the gun in the back of his uh, pants, and then the car drives off, and Hayes has done that to distract him so Roland can go behind and make a picture of the— License tag. Yeah, so Roland takes the picture, which he can easily just erase from his phone and say, "No, it never happened, Wayne. You're crazy." No. He's well, not but listen to me, that. Michelle. I, he does have the photo on his phone. Wayne doesn't have the photo. One thing Wayne does do is he whacks the car with his bat. So I think we're gonna, as it drives past him, I think we're gonna see Henry's car with a dent on the front driver's door, as evidence that. And I think we're going to see maybe somehow Wes try to say, nope, no picture. I never took that picture. Oh, I hope not. That would just suck. That's not going to. No, no. They make a point of showing him whack the car with the bat, like leaving some sort of dent that can't easily be just. And I think you're right. It could definitely be tied to Henry in some way. But Hayes should know Henry's car, number one. And. I don't know. Not if he's undercover. He's a cop. He's got access to all kinds of cars. I think that you're probably right in that that could have something to do with Henry. But these cars have been out there before. And it was before Wes told him to watch his dad. It was before Henry had the um, knowledge of his dad having the gun. He was shocked by that. And we've seen the cars out there. They've shown us the cars. Of course, they also showed us the dead people. So I guess we'll have to see. 
But this is where Hayes is walking down the road and he's suddenly not there anymore. He's somewhere else. The road is like desolate. There's nothing around. West is gone. He sees the fire in the distance. He follows the fire and he is watching himself where he's stripped down after they've killed Harris James, burning his clothes. Amelia comes out and asks what's going on, and he says they'll talk. You know, she's like, we we have to talk, and he said, and, and he agrees to talk in the morning. Yeah, Michelle, how long would you let your husband go without an explanation? Would you let it go to the morning when he's standing outside in your backyard with a barrel of burning clothes and his yeah, boxers? Um, that would be a hard one, but... But with that look in his eyes and the fact that he says there's things she doesn't need to know, um, yeah. you know, he's he's like, I'd be a son of a bitch if I told you that kind of stuff. I don't know, you know. I mean, that's kind of horrifying. Yeah, I mean, I picture a woman going, no, you have to tell me what's going on. You're scaring me or whatever, but... Well, that night, I mean, it's the next morning that he says, oh, I'd be a son of a bitch if I did that right. to you by telling you what I know. You're right. Yeah, but he has that crazy look in his eyes right there. He's got the 2000, and I, I noticed that's the first time I've seen that, um, that 2015 crazy-eyed look, that wild-eyed look right there. So, Well, something's yeah. going to come up where he can't tell her, of course, and that is exactly what happens. They're talking over coffee. He gets a phone call. It's Hoyt. So he tells her some of it over the coffee ride because Amelia says at some point before she knows what it really is, she says maybe we can turn it around. He's told her some, a little bit of it. No, I think she's talking about their marriage and the fact that they don't open up to one another. Okay. I don't think he's told her anything. I think they show us from the very beginning. But this is Edward Hoyt. He threatens him, you're coming out, or I'm coming in, or... Now, now see? Okay, this is another thing. This is why I don't think he... Hoyt is this in this pedophile ring, because he wants to go to the prosecutor. He well, says, he I'm going to take this that. to the prosecutor. Well, right, but I mean, who would threaten that? A lot of people that play poker don't really have the hand that they say they have. They they yeah, bluff. Yeah, come on, though. I mean, they can't just say anything and do anything and expect us to still buy it. Well, that's the leverage he needs to play to get Wayne to come out. Like Wayne just says, fuck you. I'm not coming. I know you're a criminal. Do whatever you want. You're not getting me to come out to talk. But if he does go to the prosecution or somehow, what if he anonymous, anonymously goes to them and yeah, leaves? He's- that's not what he says, and he's threatened him with his kids, too. That's a much bigger threat than I'm going to go to the prosecution. I don't know. But he's, he goes to Amelia, and he says, give me this one last time, and then we'll talk. You have to trust me right now. And so she agrees. He slowly walks out to the car. Back door opens. his tinted windows. He gets in, and they drive off. Yep. <clears throat> that's the end. Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways he could spill to the prosecution without it coming back on him. No. You know? All right, no. no. <laughs> but no. it's a threat he needs there's... to, it's leverage he needs to use to get Wayne to do it. Otherwise, Wayne wasn't going to do it. It's like, nope, I don't want to talk. Let's talk later or whatever. He tries to psh, kick it down the road and he can't now because he has this leverage on him. 
Yeah, I don't think he would threaten to go to the prosecution if he were the ringleader of a pedophile group that Hayes has just, like, gotten some... Because, see, he can't know he can't, I wouldn't think, unless... Well, he he can't, because this is 1990. And so he can't know what information Harris James gave him. We have to remember that, too. Even though he does know that they've had some kind of interaction with Harris James, Harris James would have had to have had some kind of listening device on his person that was transmitting for them to know. Well, all we need to know about that is he knows that Wayne's getting close to this inner circle. Harris is a pretty intimate connection to Hoyt. He's been working for him for sure. Multiple decades. But, Uh, but you know, what he told them is important too. Not maybe, maybe of course it is, but Hoyt just needs to know that that Wayne is getting close. That's not good for Hoyt, so he's going to leverage him. Well, I, mean, I think he, he wants be, to he know can't... what he knows. See, I don't think it's necessarily the leverage. I think here he's got to know what what Harris James told him. I think that's why he went to him because he's got to know how that played out. Well, of because... course, that that detail will. Maybe not, of course, but that detail may come out in the next episode. But just the fact well, he that he's can't... getting close is important is enough for me to see why Hoyt would be worried about Wayne. And Hoyt's proven to be evil by threatening this guy's family. That's evil. Sure. sure. That's well, all sure. I need to know about Hoyt. I don't need to know that he has every detail about what Harris told Wayne. No, but that's got to be what he's after. For all he knows, for all we know that he knows, he could think Harris James got threatened, he didn't show up at work or whatever, and he's going to go tell on him. But the only reason Harris James would get threatened is because somebody knows what this whole operation is about. Right, but that maybe that they're, they've got him somewhere and he's going to testify on Hoyt or whatever. Maybe. We have to assume Hoyt didn't know, doesn't know anything maybe. about the outcome. I don't see that as important right now, though. I think that he's just worried about Wayne and Roland knowing stuff that they, he doesn't want them to know. Enough that he'll threaten the guy's children, which is evil. He's evil and he has to do something now to protect himself. Sure. All right, Michelle, do you think it's going to come? So we were worried last time that the penultimate would be pushed back to the final episode. That's why I asked at the beginning of this, did you get what you needed in this penultimate to get explanations in the final episode? Um, yes. They, uh, I, I wouldn't have minded it all coming out in this episode and then us having an episode to find out the little details and relax. I really like it when they do it that way. But I think they told us enough in this episode that they will be able to, if they, if they will tie it up in the next episode, this show does have excellent final scenes. I mean, this story is just chaptered perfectly how they leave it every time. Yes. Yes. Suspenseful. Um, and with a lot of questions, a lot of things to think about prior to coming back. So what did you see on the next ones, Michelle? It wasn't nearly as much. We see Amelia reading a poem to a class. 1990 Hayes is saying to Amelia, the case is only ever the case, but it's over now. So he's 
I don't know what he's saying to her then. Something. West is punching some guy in a bar. It Motorcycle looks like, gang. Yeah. What What was that? I don't know. I don't know anything about that motorcycle gang. <clears throat> yeah. Um, it looks like we see Hayes at the same age as he was when he was dropping Becca off at college, walking to or through the college. Now, that's only a guess on my part, but that's what it looked like that was. I watched that about five times. We see one of those little cornhusk dolls fall to the ground. Wes says, all this time, what were you doing? Kind of in the background, we hear that. 2015, West and Hayes are going down the hallway toward the pink room door is what it looks like. And then we see 1990 Hayes in a raising voice saying, just tell me what happened. Yeah. That's it. So the old Amelia reading that poem in the classroom, she's older yeah. now. So I don't. she does get older before she passes away. So, But that poem she's reading, Time is a School in Which We Learn, Time is the Fire in Which We Burn. Mm-hmm. is by a guy named Delmore Schwartz who wrote that poem in like 1938 or that's when he was active, 1930 to 1958. He was diagnosed with mental illness and and uh, is institutionalized by... So hmm. it's interesting that Pizzolatto was attracted to that writer and knew something about that writer enough to include him in the story. Yeah, that is interesting. But that's it, Michelle. So next week, the final episode of this True Detective season, Now I'm Found. That's it. Do you know what that is from, Now I'm Found? Um, I found one thing it was in that seems to be what it's from. <clears throat> Amazing Grace, I once was lost, but now am found. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's a religious you know, remind you of, of the religious song. But, you know, I mean, we have to assume that Julie is found, right? Or answers are found. I was lost and confused, and now I've found some sanity. Maybe Hayes finds some answers. I don't know. It's it's interesting. They've got to wrap this up with Julie. They have to. They We need to know about... What happened between Becca and Hayes? We need to know, um, of course, the the big stuff. What's going on with Hayes and Hoyt right here, um, and and how that worked out. What they actually did with Julie. And there, there's a lot. There's a lot of story they got to let us know. Yeah, I don't think and, we quite reached the formula of the of the denouement. You know, the, the 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 penultimate didn't solve it, and now we have just resolution. I think we have more, or, or explanation, I think we have more resolution to come in this final episode. Oh, lots more, yeah. And I really want to know where Julie is, and I want to not only know where she is, I want to know where she was during that whole time. They could do two full episodes on that, because, like, what, 45 years have passed I, I want to know where she is and also how they're going to tie Eliza into that. Because I think you're right since you said that. They they really need to tie her into that. And, you know, you're, you're saying they're not going to throw this stuff in if it doesn't mean anything. What about, like, these guys, I mean, Freddie Burns, his whole life was destroyed over this. And he didn't have they've, – they've never came back on any of that. You know, we haven't really had any resolution on that stuff either. 
Well, um, he gave them some clues, though. He gave he served in the story to tell us about the. He was looking for. She was looking. His her brother was looking for her, so they were separate. I mean, he did serve some part of the story. He did. He did. But we have so many little things like that, like the Sam Whitehead guy, the black man with the dead eye, and they led us off on that direction. It wasn't even him. I mean, there's just so many different Other things. Other than that, the Hoyt factory produced a lot of injuries and people like there's not finding a one eyed guy is not a, such a distinct thing because there's a lot of people that were in the chicken killing line of the plant that got that injury. That Yeah. But it's a it's a machine that grinds people up and spits them out. That I think that is part of the story. I agree, but but when they go to the liquor store to find out about the one-eyed guy, the guy behind the counter doesn't say, "Well, there's twelve of them. There's twelve one-eyed guys." Yeah. You know, so who who can I send you to? He sends them to this particular one, this Sam Whitehead that didn't really have anything to do with anything except to like stir up some racial tension. Yeah, I don't know. I think Pizzolatto's hitting about 95% batting average, though, in this episode, in this season. I mean, this is part of the whole story if you connect all three seasons. Even this season alone, though, he's hitting, he's bat, his batting average is pretty damn good with what story he's telling here. It's a great story. I am really invested in this story. And I have, <clears throat> as much as I have complained, maybe, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. This has been um, just... It's been so nice to podcast something so rich. And I'm going to say this this week because I may be mad next week. It depends. But it's, it's been a pleasure to watch and dissect this. this so story. easy to do. So, so easy to do, Michelle. This podcast is only two hours. <laughs> All right, we better go. So I'll see you next week on Now I Am Found. We'll figure out what the hell's going on. Okay, we'll see you then, Mike. Songs, my deep regret. Word me like a pair of thieves with tumbled locks and broken codes. You cannot take that from me, my small reprieve, your heart of gold. Word me like a battlefield locked inside.